0: working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana.
1: And financially supported by listeners like you..
3: Hello and welcome to Eco Report for WFHB. I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. Today in our feature, Enrique
4: Sands from the Indiana Environmental Reporter talks about a bill from Senator Brown that would allow farmers to buy carbon credits in exchange for improving emissions.
3: That's coming up later in the program, but first your environmental headlines.
4: A representative of the American Wind Energy Association says the business case for wind energy in Indiana is strong. The recently released Wind Powers America Annual Report says wind-supported jobs in the Hoosier State more than doubled last year. Indiana ranks in the top five for wind energy employment throughout the country. The report says Indiana is expanding its wind capacity by 50%. This counts wind energy under construction or in advanced development. In 2019, wind energy provided 6% of all in state electricity, according to the report. The overall growth in wind energy nationwide is due to several factors, including utilities adding wind to their integrated resource plans and a dramatic reduction in costs for wind energy technologies. Last year, wind energy became the cheapest source of new energy on the grid. The other big factor, particularly for Indiana, is that it isn't just the current price. The utilities also are moving away from coal because of the environmental benefits and also the lack
3: of longer-term prospects for coal. According to the Waterloo-Cedar Falls Courier, Mid-American Energy crews have completed work on a direct-current ultra-fast electric vehicle charging station. It's now operational and available to the public. It's MidAmerican Energy's first ultra-fast charger in its Iowa network. The ultra-fast charger can produce the charge in under 30 minutes, depending on certain factors. This year, MidAmerican plans on adding a total of 10 ultra-fast chargers. Monsanto, now owned by Bayer, is
4: outdoing itself. It has petitioned the U.S. Department of Agriculture to approve a new corn seed genetically engineered to survive applications of five herbicides used together, dicamba, glufosinate, quisalofop, 2,4-D, and glyphosate. As we reported previously, glyphosate has been deemed a human carcinogen in numerous lawsuits, Last week, we reported that there were around 125 lawsuits against them, while, in fact, the lawsuits number around 125,000. In addition, a court order just banned dicamba for use in the U.S. Also, 2,4-D is contaminated with dioxin, the most toxic synthetic chemical carcinogen known. These facts didn't deter Monsanto in its quest for more herbicides and greater profits. Genetically engineered seeds are designed to withstand applications of specific herbicides, and widespread application has created a serious problem for farmers, the development of herbicide-resistant so-called superweeds. The chemical industry's response has been to promote what it calls multi-trait genetically engineered corn seeds and increasing numbers of increasingly stronger chemicals for use on them. The Pesticide Action Network, the National Family Farm Coalition, and Friends of the Earth collaborated to oppose approval of the new chemical combination before July 7th, the deadline for approval by the Department of Agriculture. Those organizations contend that farmers need more ways to build the biodiverse, climate-resilient agriculture systems we all urgently need, not more chemicals.
3: No sooner did the U.S. Court of Appeals for the 9th District ban the herbicide Dicamba than the EPA issued a so-called cancellation order that would allow farmers until July 31st to use up their stockpiles of the herbicide. In this ruling, the court said specifically that it wanted the ban to go in effect immediately because of the danger dicamba has caused in past summers to millions of acres of crops, orchards, and gardens. Dicamba was invented for use on soybeans and cotton genetically engineered to tolerate it. However, the herbicide has a propensity to volatilize and drift onto non-genetically engineered crops, damaging and killing them. Last year, dicamba drift caused a million acres of crop damage in 18 states. The companies that manufacture dicamba, Bayer, BASF, and Corteva AgriSciences, claimed that their new version of the herbicide wouldn't be prone to drifting, but that was a false promise. As we reported before, in February, a jury unanimously awarded a Missouri peach farmer $15 million in compensatory damages and $250 million in punitive damages that Bayer and BASF had to pay. The Center for Food Safety, whose lawyers argued the case against Dicamba, commented, quote, The Trump administration is again showing it has no regard for the rule of law. All users that continue to not seek alternatives to dicamba should be on notice that they are using a harmful, defective, and unlawful product. The EPA claims it had okayed the use of dicamba through July 31st because of farmers' insistence that they couldn't grow their crops without it. Environmentalists are urging the U.S.
4: Department of the Interior to place a moratorium on new offshore drilling lease sales in the Gulf of Mexico. It was just over 10 years ago that the Deepwater Horizon oil spill disaster polluted 1,300 miles of shoreline in the Gulf, killing thousands of seabirds, turtles, and otters, and destroying people's livelihoods. Now, with the populace preoccupied with the COVID-19 pandemic, The Interior Department has sold drilling leases for 78 million acres in the Gulf to oil and gas companies. The new lease sale will include all available unleased areas in federal waters in the Gulf. The Deepwater Horizon disaster spilled 134 million gallons of oil into the Gulf over a period of just under three months. The disaster proved that even if rigs operate for years without having accidents, one accident can obliterate an entire ecosystem. Interior Secretary David Bernhardt said, quote, a strong and safe offshore energy program fuels the American economy, provides thousands of good-paying jobs, and delivers affordable and reliable energy for everyday use, end quote. What Barnhart failed to say is that besides endangering the CULF ecosystem, the fossil fuels obtained by this drilling would greatly add to the global climate crisis at a time when the U.S. urgently needs to transition to renewable energy, which provides many more jobs than
3: does the fossil fuel industry. If we carry on with business as usual, we're going to destroy ourselves. That's the conclusion of Dr. Jane Goodall, the world-renowned conservationist who desperately wants the world to pay attention to what she sees as the greatest threat to humanity's existence. She gave these comments to CBS News in a recent interview, quote, If we continue with business as usual, we're going to come to the point of no return. At a certain point, the ecosystems of the world will just give up and collapse, and that's the end of us eventually too. What about our children? We're still bringing children into the world. What a grim future is theirs to look forward to. Intensive farming, where we're destroying the land slowly with the chemical poisons and monocultures, which can be wiped out by a disease because there is no variation of crops being grown, is leading to habitat destruction. It's leading to the creation of more CO2 through fossil fuels, methane gas, and other greenhouse gas released by digestion from the billions of domestic animals. It's pretty grim. We need to realize we're part of the environment, that we need the natural world. We depend on it. We can't go on destroying. We've got to somehow understand that we're not separated from it. We are all intertwined. Harm nature, harm ourselves. Now, in some countries, there's not much they can do about it, but if enough of us get together... A groundswell becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And people say, no, I don't want to go down this road. We want to find a different green economy. We don't want to always put economic development ahead of protecting the environment. We care about the future. We care about the health of the planet. We need nature. Maybe in the end, the big boys will have to listen. End quote. Thanks to a new court order, trophy hunters will no longer be welcome in
4: Yellowstone National Park to kill grizzly bears. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals upheld a 2018 decision by the Montana District Court reinstating Endangered Species Act protections for the bears. The Trump administration eliminated those protections in 2017 and then Wyoming and Idaho announced plans to hunt grizzlies for the first time in over 40 years. The win came after four environmental organizations and a Native American tribe sued to reestablish protections for the bears. In 2017, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service removed Yellowstone area grizzly bears from the endangered species list. The decision affected about 700 bears in Wyoming, Idaho, and Montana. Supporters of the decision said the bears' population, conservation efforts, and state policies justified the move. Then Idaho and Wyoming announced that they would permit up to 23 bears to be hunted outside Yellowstone. However, the Montana court ruled that the Fish and Wildlife Service didn't take into account the best available science in making its decision, and the Ninth Circuit concurred, specifying that the Fish and Wildlife Service didn't consider how removing the bears from the endangered species list and allowing trophy hunting would affect their genetic diversity. According to U.S. Circuit Judge Mary Schroeder, quote, because the 2017 rules conclusion that genetic health no longer poses a threat to the Yellowstone grizzly is without scientific basis, the fish and wildlife's conclusion is arbitrary and capricious, end quote. Most grizzlies now live in Alaska but once roamed across North America, including the western U.S. states. Now there are some 55,000 U.S. bears, with 1,500 in the lower 48 states and most of them in the Yellowstone area.
3: According to the Washington Post, U.S. House Democrats have unveiled a sweeping climate change plan that includes requiring utilities to reach net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2040 and automakers to produce only electric vehicles by 2035. The plan stipulates that the nation's automakers would manufacture only electric cars. Utilities would have to stop producing pollution linked to climate change. And the federal government would double its investment in mass transit. All this and more was proposed by House Democrats last week under the plan aimed at bringing the U.S. economy's greenhouse gas emissions, including carbon dioxide and methane, to zero by 2050. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Democrat of California, and Representative Kathy Castor, Democrat of Florida, released an ambitious package of climate proposals that calls for a combination of government mandates, tax incentives, and new infrastructure. The proposals would mandate electric utilities be net-zero emitters of greenhouse gases by 2040 and automakers produce only electric cars by 2035, as mentioned above. The 538-page plan also backs placing a price on carbon emissions, imposing tougher methane limits, and boosting energy efficiency in buildings solar and wind tax credits would be extended through 2025, and the tax credit for electric vehicles would be expanded.
4: As reported by CNN, more than 360 elephants have died under mysterious circumstances in Botswana in the past three months, according to local conservationists. Some carcasses were found clustered around water holes while other elephants appear to have died falling flat on their faces According to Neil McCann, director of conservation at United Kingdom Charity National Park Rescue, live elephants seen nearby appeared physically weak and one was walking in circles, unable to change direction, observers said. Other species in the area did not appear to have been affected by whatever struck down the elephants. Cyanide poisoning seems unlikely because there are no scavenger deaths. The Botswana government is testing samples from the dead elephants, but has yet to determine a cause of death. Botswana is home to 130,000 African elephants, more than any other country on the continent. The Akavango Delta, where the carcasses were found, is home to around 10% of the country's elephants, McCann said. Last year, Botswana scrapped an elephant hunting ban it had in place in 2014, sparking international outcry. McCann said poaching could not be ruled out this time, although the tusks were still on the elephants. The African elephant is classified as vulnerable on the International Union for Conservation of Nature's Red List. Between 2007 and 2014, elephant numbers plummeted by at least 30 percent, or 144,000. And now for our feature, we will hear Enrique Sands from the Indiana Environmental Reporter talk about a bill from Senator Brown that would allow farmers to buy carbon credits in exchange for improving emissions.
2: A first-generation Lafayette farmer was one of several witnesses called to testify at a U.S. Senate committee reviewing a bill that could help kickstart the carbon market industry in the U.S., Brent Bible, co-owner of Stillwater Farms, testified at the Senate Committee on Agriculture, Nutrition and Forestry's hearing on the Growing Climate Solutions Act, a bipartisan bill introduced by Senator Mike Braun of Indiana. The bill seeks to create new resources at the U.S. Department of Agriculture that will help farmers, ranchers and foresters participate in carbon credit markets, including establishing a USDA certification and certification process for the carbon market industry. Organizing an advisory council, and establishing other features that would help build trust in the market. A carbon credit market allows companies to offset the amount of greenhouse gases they emit by purchasing carbon credits, a certificate worth a certain amount of carbon dioxide emissions. Farmers, ranchers, and foresters can generate carbon credits to trade by using environmentally sustainable farming practices that will retain more greenhouse gases. In essence, Farmers are trading their promise to undertake environmentally friendly farming that will reduce greenhouse gas emissions in the atmosphere in exchange for cash. Companies like Microsoft, Coca-Cola, JetBlue, Starbucks and even fossil fuel giant BP have voluntarily promised to reduce or offset greenhouse gas emissions and in some cases have purchased carbon credits to reach those goals. But doubts about how much greenhouse gases carbon offsets actually reduce and the overall stability of those markets have prevented U.S. farmers from participating in those private markets more broadly and embracing this alternative form of revenue. Bible told the committee farmers need Congress to act to embrace this new income stream. These
1: practices and uh, initiatives that we reach will not reach a broader farming audience if we can't figure out how to scale up the current rates of adoption and conservation practices. And that's why I like the Growing Climate Solutions Act. It opens the door for farmer participation in a market-based system that rewards farmers for implementing conservation practices on their farms, if they choose to do so. Because of these results, we need Congress to step in and provide policies that incentivize further adoptions. And we have great programs at USDA that provide cost share for farmers to implement conservation practices, but government programs are not the only solution to our problem. We need real market-based options that allow farmers to individually make a choice and participate and then see the benefits to their economic bottom line. I urge the committee to examine this bill and work together to pass legislation that will put my farm and environment both on a path to success.
2: The text of the bill has not been finalized, but Braun and Stabenow said the goal of the bill is ultimately to help farmers and foresters scale up sustainable practices and make money through voluntary carbon markets by targeting impediments. This is Senator Debbie Stabenow of Michigan, a Democrat and co-sponsor of the bill.
0: Carbon markets offer agriculture producers an opportunity to create additional revenue streams. With all the uncertainty from COVID-19 and trade and weather, farmers need new market opportunities now more than ever. At the same time, companies across the country are looking for ways to offset their emissions through carbon markets. That means farmers and foresters have an exciting opportunity to be rewarded for the voluntary, sustainable steps they're taking to generating and selling carbon credits. For example, Detroit's own General Motors paid for an agricultural carbon project like this, based on grasslands in North Dakota a few years ago, one of the first of its kind. Our bill will help the corn and soybean farmer in Michigan who's hearing about companies like GM and is asking me how they can get involved in this and have a credible process to store their carbon and have it measured accurately, and they want to know how to get started. That's what the Growing Climate Solutions Act
2: does. The legislators hope to remove several roadblocks, including uncertainty in how to start the sustainability projects, navigate the carbon credit markets, and finding trustworthy carbon market professionals with agriculture or forestry experience. The bill would establish a website to guide farmers through the process and set up a process to certify technical assistance providers that can work with farmers to design and implement sustainability projects that can produce a tradable carbon credit. The USDA will also be empowered to certify third-party verifiers who can confirm that the projects resulted in emissions reductions or carbon storage. This is National Farmers Union President Rob Leroux.
1: Farmers are great at, at farming and at uh, trying to distill a lot of information, but for the efforts that are out there right now, these contracts are enormously complex and there are a lot of questions. And so setting up a system similar to one that's envisioned by this bill would at least set up a structure so that farmers can trust the information, make sure that they can get their questions answered and can believe in the system and the market itself.
2: In 2018, voluntary carbon markets helped offset about 98.4 million metric tons of greenhouse gases around the world. That's about double the amount of 2016, but just a small fraction of greenhouse gas emissions across the world. U.S. polluters alone emitted 6,677 million metric tons of greenhouse gases. Increased interest in the carbon credit market could allow farmers to chip away further at those emissions totals and supplement income to fund their currently unprofitable operations. Bible, a first-generation farmer and former Indiana State police officer, told Braun and the rest of the committee that federal policies, fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic and rising overhead costs, have made farming unprofitable. He said many farmers are only able to continue their operations because of government subsidies and support programs.
1: Our demand structure certainly has, has been injured the last couple of years through different things, policy and, and otherwise, but our supply is very good right now as well, so we need to look for other markets, other opportunities to, to generate a profit. We are not making money right now. We, we are, are treading water, so to speak, when you take away that, that, that USDA subsidy that's, that's been there the last, whether that's the market facilitation program or the COVID. The demand has increased for those voluntary markets to exist. So I think that's the opportunity for us to be able to step up and, and supply that and, and generate revenue through that process. It gives us the, the opportunity to, to make a profit and do something environmentally healthy for our operations at the same time.
2: The growing Climate Solutions Act will have to make its way through the committee before it gets a vote in the full Senate. The bill was also recently introduced in the U.S. House of Representatives. More than 50 organizations, including farming and ranching associations, agricultural business interests, food manufacturers, and environmental organizations have expressed support for the bill.
3: For EcoReport, I'm Sarah Callanan, And I'm Patrick Callanan. Support for EcoReport comes from Blooming Foods Market in Delhi, Bloomington's locally grown co-op grocery since 1976 offering products with a focus on local, fair trade, natural, and organic, with support for farmers, producers, agencies, and artisans. Blooming Foods Market and Deli on East 3rd Street near College Mall, West 6th Street near the Courthouse Square, and Shreve Hall on the Ivy Tech campus.
4: Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at EcoReport, we are currently looking for reporters and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in south-central Indiana. All levels of experience in all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships.
3: To volunteer for EcoReport, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for our events calendar. Help maintain trails by volunteering with the Hoosier Hikers Council today, July 16th at 6 p.m., This is an opportunity to not only improve trail conditions, but to learn about trail construction. Sign up at www.friendsoflakemonroe.org.
4: Take a fossil discovery hunt at McCormick's Creek State Park on Friday, July 17th from 1 to 2 p.m. Start your hike with a demonstration at the Canyon Inn, where you will learn about Indiana's historical
3: ocean. Be prepared to get wet while hiking Trail 3 to the waterfalls. Come to Spring Mill State Park on Sunday, July 19th from noon to 1 p.m. to learn about fantastic fish and where to find them. Meet Cameron at the boat dock for a moderate one-mile hike around the lake to discuss the species in the lake, when stocking takes place, and some local fishing suggestions. You must register for this event by calling 812-849-3534.
4: Join Jessica at the McCormick's Creek State Park Canyon Inn on Friday, July 24th for the quarry hike beginning at 11 a.m. Hike Trail 2 to the quarry to learn about amphibians and reptiles that live there.
3: Friends of Lake Monroe and the IU Limnology Lab are looking for volunteers to collect water samples from stream sites in the Lake Monroe watershed on Friday, September 18th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Direct questions or concerns to Lynette Murphy at flmblitz at indiana.edu. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco-Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar power systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolar.com. This week's headlines
4: were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. Today's feature was produced by IER reporter Enrique Sands. David Lyman wrote the script, and Linda Green and Patrick Callanan edited it. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Patrick Callinan produced
3: and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callinan, and I'm Sarah Callinan. And this is Eco Report.
1: You've been listening to the Eco Report,
0: a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB
2: in Bloomington, Indiana.
0: Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org.
2: EcoReport is your independent, ecologically-inspired news source
0: for South Central Indiana,
2: bringing you news that the Earth wants you to
1: hear.
0: Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas
1: directly to the Eco Report staff.
0: The email address is
1: earth at wfhb.org.
0: That's earth at wfhb.org.